Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. This episode of Clear and Vivid with Pat Matheny is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Discovery. For more than 30 years, Discovery's global networks have been helping hundreds of millions of viewers understand their lives, their communities, and the world around them. From science and nature to food and lifestyle, and now the world's biggest sporting events and greatest names in travel and documentary films. The Discovery family proudly informs, entertains, and powers the passions that drive our planet. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. To me, listening is the key. And whether that manifests itself in, in the realm that I deal in or, or in our everyday interactions, the way that improvising, as we put it in this exalted sense of a, of a guy who's standing up on stage and playing with a bass player and drummer, connects to just listening is central. Jazz guitarist Pat Metheny is known as one of the world's top improvisers. He does it up on stage, often with just bassist and drummer, night after night, sometimes a hundred nights in a row. As regular Clear and Vivid listeners know, I find improvisation to be a source of connection and creativity like nothing else. So I was eager to meet with Pat and compare notes. As it happens, he lives close to my apartment in Manhattan, so I asked him to drop by. We plunged into conversation about improvisation even before we remembered to press the record button. Here's Pat. For me, the, there are interesting aspects of living a life as an improviser. I mean, uh, in many ways, being an improvising musician has a kind of exalted status somehow, you know? I mean, it's like, you know, if you're well-known as an improviser, there's things that are acknowledgement of, like, your skills. But the truth is, we're all improvising all the time. We're improvising right now. Yeah. You know, you knew I was coming. I kind of knew I was going to be here. But to we didn't know in. what was going to happen exactly. when we turned on the switch. Exactly. But we have a sense of the context of it. It's going to be an interview. We're going to talk roughly about things that maybe we share in terms of our experiences. And you have this great podcast and I'm a musician. So we kind of have a little bit of a frame for it. But what is also interesting, and I bet there's a parallel in your world of activities with this, is the idea of improvising over the 
long-term. Like, for instance, I'll go out on a tour and I'll do 250 concerts. And yes, it's improvised, but we have a set of tunes that we're going to do. And, you know, not John Coltrane, not Charlie Parker, not Art Tatum. There is not a musician in history who stood up there set after set after set and completely reinvented their entire language every time. There's this misconception among some of us, I think, that improvising means total freedom with no boundaries, no discipline. You just make stuff up somehow willfully. And at the same time, I think there are probably many, many levels of subtlety involved in, say, for instance, you you doing a show where you're going to do it a hundred nights in a row, you have to make it new each time. You have to make it real each time with the materials that you have available. And it's kind of the same. Um, You know, for me, what I need are musicians who can tell a story, because it's all about that for me. It's all narrative, expositional type improvising is what I need. I want to hear more about that in a minute, but finish this sentence. (laughs) But I need people who can tell a story about particular subjects, stay on the subject, but tell a different story about it each night. So in other words, this song is about Brussels sprouts. You can say anything you want. You can make up story about Brussels sprouts your mom used to make or Brussels sprouts from Mars, but you got to talk about Brussels sprouts on that (laughs) tune. If you start talking about green beans, I might have to get another bass player. You You know, know, it just reminds me so much of what people, when they come backstage after a play, they say, how do you do it? How do you do the same thing every night? And I say, I don't do the same thing every night. It's like dancing. If somebody said to you, you want to dance, you wouldn't say, no, I've done that. Right. It's different every time you do it. That's exactly. And for you, like, what do you draw on? If it's, I mean, obviously you have some very particular events that must happen in order to move the particulars of the plot along. Right. Well, what I draw on is exactly what you said before, that we're looking at each other in the eye. We're sensing whether the other person is getting it. We're, We're sensing if the other person is drifting off or now I see you smile. I know mm-hmm. we're connected in exactly. a different way. The, all of that stuff happens and it happens a little differently every night. Yeah. So to some extent, even though we say the same words and we're standing in the same place, it's an improvisation to right. some extent. And if it isn't, it's not very good. Exactly. The qualities that kind of set up what make a really sort of fertile, robust environment to live within as an improviser, especially night after night after night after night after night, are kind of quantifiable to me. Um, You know, the model I always use for myself and also just to describe it is Thelonious Monk, who has, you know, maybe 15 tunes that are indestructible. You cannot mess them up. If somebody plays the right bass notes, somebody kind of plays the right melody, Monk is in the room, there's infinity of things to do, it's absolutely bulletproof. And, you know, to me, that model is one that is, uh, you know, worth aspiring towards. And, of course, the best standards have that, too. The ones that we all play, All the Things You Are, The Song Is You. Those tunes, in addition to just being great, memorable tunes for anyone, 
they have some things built into them harmonically and melodically that are just you 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 can't mess them up. I'm, An example of that for me is uh, I, I was watching the evening you did at the World Science Festival, and you played Autumn Leaves, and I I hadn't heard you play that before, and I've never heard it played that way. It took me inside the melody, it took me to the heart of the melody. It was an uncanny experience for me. It was almost like floating in a dream through the melody. I think the entire thing you heard, I was playing with one finger on one string. Yeah. Which is something that, to me, it's like... Just show me the, the essential things that make the changes of autumn leaves beautiful. And it's very simple, actually. One of the main goals as an improvising musician is to, to be able to kind of illuminate to people, like, check this out. Yeah. See how cool it is yeah. on autumn leaves the way the bridge turns around and gets back to the yeah, top. Yeah. Because there's a couple specific things that make that cool. And I love to illuminate those things. And I bet this is true in your world too. Once you kind of get to a place where there's this sense of infinity, that's what I'm always looking for. Like yeah. I can show that like a hundred million different ways. I could do it 24 hours a day. And I would never get tired of showing that because I love that. Yeah, there is an experience that actors talk about where it happens rarely, but where you feel it's a little bit like the infinity thing you're talking about. Actors have this feeling that nothing can go wrong. Mm. It doesn't matter where you go with it or how you how it takes you. You're still within the limits, but suddenly you're filled with a surge of something that you don't, you don't know where it came from. It came from somewhere in the back of your head, and it's the product of the preparation. It's the product of listening to the other person, listening to yourself. To me, listening is the key, and whether that manifests itself in, in the realm that I deal in or, or you— um, or, or in our everyday interactions, the way that improvising, as we put it in this exalted sense of a, of a guy who's standing up on stage and playing with a bass player and drummer, connects to just listening is central. So um, when you're listening, what are you listening to? Who are you listening to? What are you aware of listening? This is, this is where the thing you mentioned about actors having those nights where you can't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. There are times, I think, when I'm able to sit above the whole thing. I have that experience, and too. And hear the whole thing. Yeah. That's not every night. And some nights, you know, and it's completely unpredictable. I'm, I bet it is with you, too. Yeah. You, you could have be in great shape, haven't gotten a great night's rest, everything's cool and it's horrible and you can be sick and everything's wrong and whatever and it's the best it's ever been. And you don't know where it happened, how you, it happened. You don't know. There's this story about Laurence Olivier who after a performance in a Shakespeare play 
um, was found by his friend sitting backstage drinking a, a long glass of scotch and looking depressed. And his friend says, you realize, don't you, you gave one of the greatest performances of your life. And he looks up at him and he says, yeah, but how? <laughs> yeah. I, now that, that's the deal right yeah. there. <laughs> and, you know, this thing I, I mentioned earlier before we, we, we officially started of writing everything down has been very useful for me in that respect, in the sense that... Um, you know, after each concert, I just kind of do four or five pages of notes, and it's mostly directed to myself. Sometimes it's about where we played and, you know, how the audience was and, you know, X factors about the music. And But mostly it's about, like, you know, every time you get to that, you know, B-flat minor, seven-flat, five, on the third turnaround of that fourth tune, you always play, you know, an F natural. It should be either an E natural or an F sharp. Stuff like that. By writing Boy, it down. Boy, so detailed memory. It's like the the boxer remembers every punch. That's <laughs> well, amazing. You know, the, that thing uh, that you just described of uh, Sir Lawrence, I've been there too many times <laughs> where it's like, well, I should be able to be, you know, at least kind of increase the odds of getting there. And I would say that over the years, I have been able to increase the odds. I mean, uh, it's not a hundred, it's, it's never going to be where I wish That sounds like you know a little bit about what goes into it happening. Well, I think, you know, and also having been around, you know, many of the greatest musicians of our time, it's also very interesting to me, and I bet you you would have similar things to say, how different everybody is in terms of their preparation, yeah, yeah. in terms of their perception of what happened, or even their perception of how it's going while it's going on. Yeah. I mean, I can be standing there with my eyes closed and say, wow, the Antonio on drums is playing the best. He's, man, it sounds great. And then I'll look over there and he's like mad. And it's like, wow, okay. I, I wouldn't have thought that, you know. Although I can't say that about Antonio. He rarely gets mad, the drummer that I play with a lot. But, you know, for instance. But, um, you know, I know musicians who, before they walk out on stage, eat a giant steak dinner and, you know, can go out and just burn. I mean, for me, I don't eat anything all I don't day. either. I don't either. I, you know, I want to, I found kind of through my notes over the years, I just play a little bit better if I'm hungry. I like to be a little hungry. Yeah. So, you know, but everybody's different. So, you know, yeah, my and, notes wouldn't apply to anybody. But right. Me. What about story? You were telling me about story. What in what way do you tell a story? Well, that's a tough one because the general abstraction of what music is and how you know it connects to this sort of narrative example that I have mentioned a few times is difficult to do. It's hard to say, well, that part where I went da 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 da, that was when, you know, Little Red Riding Hood went it to the woods and the part where I did, you know, it's it's way more, it's like three three or four dimensions past that. It's it's not a story you could put into words, which is why it's music, I guess. Although you you know, I am constantly getting things from people who take the various improvised things that I've done. And they hear a story. They write words uh. to them. The, the sort of narrative aspect of it for me can show up in many different ways, therefore. So it's, it's not like, you know, I mean, there are improvisers like Lester Young or Stan Getz would have been a great example of this, where it's just, it's really like almost literally a narrative beginning, middle, and end kind mm -hmm. of thing. And 
in many ways, that is still the model for me, even if there's serious abstraction going on mm. because i you know and this i think connects with with the purpose of your podcast as i understand it for me the communication aspect of all of this is central um you know the 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 materials that i'm dealing with are often very complex but i consider it part of my gig to like illuminate those things and, and again show like this is really cool you may not have run across this before although i try not to presume that i try to presume everybody's hipper than i am and <laughs> it, that was easier before the internet because i could just imagine that every person out there was like you know a, a clifford brown fanatic you know and now you read the snarky the, comments well or the snarky and just like wow there's not there's not a whole lot of insight to the details like I'm <laughs> yeah, talking yeah, about right, right now right. often. But to me, because I like so much stuff in music as a fan of music, which is kind of why I became a musician, my natural impulse has always been to represent what I love about music. And that includes many, many things. But I feel like I also have a mandate to be very clear about it, like to try to say, look, Check this out. This mm. is really cool. It's so interesting. It's so much like, um, I think it was Michael Tomasello who was on the show talking about the origins of language as the act of pointing. First, we might have pointed as if to say, look at that sunset. We still yeah. do it. You know, I'm driving in the car with one of my grandchildren and one of us will say, wow, look at that. And that's that's it. you've said that a couple of times today that sounds like what you're doing with the music you're saying listen to this yeah do you feel like that's what you're doing when when you're when you have a a, a role that you really feel you know like you have some something to say about what that character I'm is. aware of to some extent I'm aware of what the what's happening what might be happening in the audience I'm more aware of what's happening in the other actor. Interesting. I would say the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I I actually am aware of pretty much everything that's happening to some extent. You know, when I was a young actor and I needed money, I I was paid $25 to be hypnotized by a psychiatrist who was doing a study. <laughs> wow. And, and I had never been really hypnotized before. And he said, it's really self-hypnosis. It depends on your ability to concentrate. And he said, don't try to block things out. Noises in the street, noises in the next room, let them in. But keep concentrating on what's important, what's of going into this trance. And that sounds to me a little bit or a lot like what I go through when I'm on the stage. Is it something like what you go through? Exactly that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and the way you described your your first sort of set of awareness, uh, you know, molecules being activated by your fellow actors, and maybe what's happening on the stage is the same for me. Also, because. Um, especially if it's great musicians, I know they're hearing it. Mm. I know they know. Yeah. 
And um, you hope that there are many people who know, but I know that they know. Not only that, they've heard me play a lot. So, you know, I feel like an obligation to play well, also to kind of keep them interested. So that's a, a like a back and forth, yeah. even though it's to some extent in your head. You, you know because you have evidence that leads you to know it. And that sounds like it's spurring you on to stay in the zone. And I wonder if it's the same for you on stage. Like you have a, a, a fellow actor that you respect and admire and you're going to do eight shows a week for six oh, if weeks. I, it's all in the other person. Yeah. The, 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 the phrase actors use a lot is my performance is in the other person's eyes. Yeah. Not, not in what I do. When I work with an actor who only is considering what they have to do without regard to me or anybody else, it's a disappointment. Yeah. I feel like I'm alone up there. I want to be together. When we come back, Pat Metheny and I, sitting across the table from one another, practice getting in contact with each other through one of my favorite exercises in improvisation. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. This is clear and vivid, and now back to my conversation with Pat Metheny and the importance of being connected. That contact to me, that ability to make contact that I learned as an actor, is what I think is at the heart of all communication. Yep. So when we train scientists to be better communicators, we start with improvisation exercises. With the most fundamental one, I think, is mirroring. Yeah. where they stand across from each other and I would I move my arms and you move your arms in exactly the same moment as if you were my mirror. And then we trade places and I am your mirror. And then when you get good at both of those, you do it where neither one knows who's leading. Yeah. That sounds a little like what you go through in a jazz composition. It can absolutely be that. Now, how about this? How about, is there an exercise where you do the 
exact opposite of that, which is to completely do everything you can do to mess up the other person. <laughs> you know, I've, there are there are improvisation exercises where you do that, where you, where you disagree entirely with what the other person Because even, that comes up in our zone quite a bit, isn't actually. That interesting? There, there's a so kind you, of, especially, you know, in, in, in the world that I function in, the drums are, whoever's name is on the marquee, the drummer is the leader. The drums <laughs> are the center of the universe, but part of the general style that has evolved has been a sort of combative drumming style that I love. Yeah, you know, where you're playing along way. and the drummer's just like somebody like Jack oh, DeJanet. Smashing just, the drums. He's just going to like, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, and... You know, that's, there's a, there's a kind of, uh, you know, mechanism of survival that kicks in <laughs> that, that when you're going to play with a, a very aggressive kind of drummer, uh, you have to be able to, to hang with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, you know, there, I'm sure that the, there are certain types of theater that invoke that more than others, but, uh, you, you remind me of when I grew up, my father for a while was in burlesque and, played on bills with Gene Krupa. So wow. I would stand in the wings and listen to Gene Krupa. Man. And to me that that he could play melodies on the Absolutely. drums. Absolutely. Just just with his touch. Absolutely. Yeah. It was it was an ama an amazing introduction to a kind of drumming I'd never heard before. But this listening to other people and and picking up from them. You know what it would be fun to do? And you can do the mirror the mirror exercise vocally where we both talk at the same time. I'm curious to know cuz you improvise hours a day. I bet I would be terrible at it. I let's see. I bet I, you're probably better <laughs> okay, at it. Okay, but if than it's me. really bad, don't put it in. Okay. okay. All right. Okay, so I'll I'll start. Okay. So what are, what and are we going to do? You you have to be my mirror. So it's as you're a, talking, as I'm talking, you speak at exactly, exactly the, same the same time. time. That's and right. That's what I. For instance, for instance, it's an echo. It's an echo. Keep it at, Keep the, it at the same, same time. time. So, so for, for instance, instance, this morning, this morning, I had, I had oatmeal, oatmeal, and, and I loved and, it, and I loved it. I'll tell you why I'm not good at this. Why? To me, speaking in general, talking is extremely difficult. Hey, it boy, feels, it doesn't sound. It, it feels no. Everything about language is feels like I'm used to dealing with this like incredibly fine, like infinitely expressive brush, and this is like picking up an anvil for me to talk. Right. Yeah. And I, I've always struggled in a lot of ways with language. It seems cumbersome to me relative to the kind of like you know infinite malleability of music and um so you know people often say to musicians oh i bet you're great at languages it's like man i've been married for 25 years now to my wife who's french and i mean i'm still at you know Merci beaucoup pretty much <laughs> um you know it, it's languages are Almost impossible for me. Or you lead me now, and I'll see if I can follow you. Because okay, you, I bet you lead, you can. Now, leading, you have to listen more than you do when you're following. Okay. Because you got to know where I am all the time. So you lead. On, On the, the third, third of, of April, April I, I went, went to, to the, the dog, dog store, store 
dog store. Sorry, but you thought you were going to say dog show. <laughs> Go, keep and, going. And, and bought, bought dog, dog food, food for my, for my cat. cat. <laughs> You're way better at it than me. <laughs> no, but I'm only as good as you make me. Now, let me ask you this. In that exercise, is it about sound or is it about meaning? I mean, I, like, but for instance, I threw you a couple loops by saying I bought dog food for my cat. When you're le- when you're responding, are you responding to the the sound of it or the meaning? Partly to the sound and partly to what probably is coming next, but I can't be too sure of what's coming next because you're a jazz improviser, and you like to <laughs> you like to. Take my expectations and put a turn on them, right? Isn't that a isn't that a, one of the wonders of jazz that you well, can do yeah. that? Yeah, but you know, there's another way that this comes up, and I know you've been in this situation a million times too. You're in a foreign country, you have to give an interview, and while you're giving the interview, there's somebody doing a what they call a simultaneous translation of right. what you're saying. I can't do that. For me, it's like if I start talking and then this person starts going, blah, 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 it's like, it feels, first of all, kind of rude for me to keep talking. <laughs> yeah, right. And also, I just feel like that's, too, that's from the listener's standpoint, that's too much, that fights with my sort of improvising clarity, illumination mechanism of like, the idea is to make this clear to people. And to me, it's like, what about the person here who can speak English and Slovenian? How, how can they take both of those in? So I always say, would you, I'll, I'll talk in short bursts, but let me talk and then you translate. Yeah. It, you, you, it's hard to believe they're actually able to do it. And it's a little distracting, but then if you, you, you could talk forever, you could make this long statement where you pour out your heart. Talking and then they from, go, and, and they go, and they go, and that's the end of it. <laughs> I've had that happen too. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know what I wanted to ask you about. I feel that improvising has changed my life. I, I'm a different actor, certainly, since I learned improvising early on. But I'm a different person too. And I think that changes and gets more profound as the, as the years go on how has it changed you in any way or are you aware of it do you because you you started so young are you aware of continuing change in in your life absolutely particularly in the sense that it's kind of my my gig too it's like my uh my livelihood in a way is yeah. dependent upon being able to keep coming up with stuff, you know, night after night after night. I mean, you know, that famous uh, Babe Ruth line about, you know, yesterday's home runs don't win tomorrow's game is like, (laughs) you know, infinitely magnified for the improviser because there is the tendency of like, oh man, last night, finally I broke through on that tune. Now I'm all set. I got it, but no. (laughs) You never got it. You never got it. And also, you know, it's Bakersfield tonight. They don't know what I played last night. And it's a little different than if you are playing written music or maybe in a play situation where you have, I mean, we do usually have a context and environment for the improvising to happen, but that in our zone, I would say is significantly less 
scaffolding than you would have in classical music or mm -hmm. maybe in a theater mm -hmm. piece or something. I mean, it's usually a little bit at the beginning and a little bit at the end and a whole lot in the middle that may be based on elements of those things. Mm -hmm. But the vast majority of what's going to happen is on you to come up with. And, um, you know, so having lived with that as a reality, um, I would say absolutely has affected the way I carry myself and the amount of risk that I'm able to, to bear mm -hmm. in other areas, sometimes for better or worse. Um, and it's been unbelievably instructive for me to be around a lot of other great improvising musicians, just sort of see how they hang on a day-to-day -day mm. basis. Um, One of the things, it sounds like you're saying something that's close to what I've experienced, which is that improvising has given me a sense that the uncertainty of life is not something you can avoid or should avoid or should try to avoid because it's going to be there no matter what. And, and to, play what, to play what comes your way. Yeah. I have to admit, I wrestle with that, that aspect of it a little how, bit. How is that? Well, in, you know, in addition to just being an improviser, I'm also a band leader. I write 90% of the music that I play um, and have for my whole career. Um, so in that sense, I'm also kind of the playwright to a degree. Mm -hmm. And I'm also the director, kind of. I have these other aspects to my existence on those 300 nights in a row that I am an imp also an improviser. But there's a point where I have to go, hey, you guys, we're getting too far off topic here. You're starting to talk about, right. you know, corn now. You're supposed to be talking about Brussels sprouts. You know? <laughs> and um, Yeah, well, that's exactly what I'm trying to say, is there, it, you don't establish a relationship among the people on your team, and it doesn't stay that way it's going to change because uncertainty is one of the givens. So how you cope with that is going to be different from what you might have expected. And it, I guess the degree of coping to the degree of reestablishing, you know, norms. That, yeah. You know, yeah. That's, the, that's the tricky part because, you know, also, again, now we're kind of in a slightly different area, which is the area more like being a director or something like uh -huh. that. You don't want to quash people's exactly, impulses yeah. either, because then it's like people are not going to do their best. And that's, that's one of the things that I think improvising gives you, is the empathy to be able to deliver bad news to somebody yeah. without bringing them down. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a that's a band leader skill that I have wrestled with a number of times over the years and sometimes with better re results than others. You know, it's like um you know, at what point are you uh, maintaining kind of let's say control? In other words, you're fighting against what you were describing before of just kind of accepting bad things can happen. Um and at what point are you um, just letting it be? And yeah, no. The, 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 idea, the idea that you're you're trying to always trying to figure out the way to cope with the unexpected in a way that doesn't step all over the people and hurt their hurt them from doing their best is not like some people who don't bother to to, to worry about that. 
but try to try to exercise authority in a way that's not really helpful. I worked with a director once who used to say to actors, Jughead, don't do that. <laughs> I bet that one went over really well. <laughs> yeah, really inspiring. Boosted, boosted everybody's morale. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have to say, I really enjoyed listening to your podcast of the MASH cast. Oh, that I did too. But also hearing the way you guys worked about how much preparation there was yeah. and how much discipline there was. Yeah, even when there didn't appear to be. Well, that's the key. That's the thing. I heard that and I'm like, yeah. It's like you want it to be like it's real. It has to be real to be good. Right? That's right. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's take 49. Exactly. Maybe it's take one. You exactly. don't know. So, so often people would say to us, you must have improvised all those scenes. <laughs> and on the contrary, there was an improvisational flavor, which we sometimes only achieved on take 20. I love the thing you said um, when you and uh, one of the other actors had done the scene and then went to the trailer and did it again. And it was, we were never going to do it on film again, but we wanted to do it again until we me, got it that, better. I'm like, yeah, my brother. <laughs> I'm That's like, good. we're in the same tribe there. Oh, I, I, you know, I feel in that, <laughs> we never met before, but this conversation has made me feel even more that way. We have to end it now, unfortunately. It's one of those things that I'd love to go on for hours with. But we, as you know, probably, we end our talks with these seven quick questions. Are you game? Of course, I and I heard you do it with the mash people. So yeah, I yeah. These are this is our new set of questions. Okay. Some of them are new. Some of them are old favorites. Okay. Some have been uh, suggested by the audience. Cool. So, but there are only seven. Number one, what's the hardest thing you've ever tried to explain to someone? I'm not a good explainer to people who um, do not seem to have the empathetic response to music as I do. Yeah. And that's that's sometimes been a little bit of a problem for me. Um, you know, every now and then I'll meet somebody, it's rare, but somebody who will just say, you know, I just don't like music. And it's oh, sort of like, wow. man, I don't even know what to say. That's like trying to explain a joke. Exactly. Even, How, even you know, if you explain it, they say, well, well what's funny about that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I, I don't think I would be a good person to be able to explain things. <laughs> well, that's a hard thing to explain. Number two, how do you handle a nosy person? Well, you know, I immediately go to the musical ver on the bandstand version of that, like where there's another musician who's kind of getting in your space, right? Uh, yeah. And to me, the, the response to that would be to let them have some room, like just... Like, go ahead. Oh, that's interesting. And, uh, you know, sort of see what it is they're so curious about. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, for me, it's it's always interesting to get, you know, people's responses to things, you know. Right. And uh, because I guess I'm so tuned into that anyway, yeah. if somebody's like that, um, you know, I, I kind of just... Give them a chorus. Like, it sounds like you're ready to dance when 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 they come up and and start moving towards you. You know, I I am always trying to do my best to, to understand that uh, 
you know, because as I mentioned before, having been around so many musicians and seen how different they are, how mm. different people that are really great musicians just respond to different situations. And more and more, I find that whatever I've learned as a musician actually applies to everything. Um, you know, it's, it's almost getting to the point, in, I mean, I hope to continue to play forever. I love playing. It's the it's the greatest for me. But it's it's getting close to the point where I don't even feel like I have to play anymore. It's it's kind of like just kind of sitting around being. It's doing like that's the music what of life. Music is. Yeah, yeah, I know. I have that same feeling. Yeah. Number three, how do you tell somebody that they have their facts wrong? I'm pretty blunt. Hmm. If uh, if something's really wrong, I'll just say no. That's really not what it is. And then you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, we live in an era at the moment where there's a lot of that going on. Um, I have real problems with that. I have to admit, you know, it's sort of like, I mean, there's a musical version of that too, which is which people, is what people playing wrong notes. On oh, yeah, right. People <laughs> just saying, no, I really hear that, man. It's like, no, you don't. You just don't know the notes in the chord. You know, don't <laughs> don't say you do when you don't. You know? That's great. So I have trouble with that too. It's like, That's... to me, there are kind of, you know, fundamental laws of nature involved in just what's true right. and what isn't. And Gravity does exist. Exactly. What's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you? Well, you know, it's a, a little bit reminiscent of something you said, which is I can play a concert with just a bass player and drummer playing, you know, like three hours, and somebody will come up afterwards and say, were you improvising at all? <laughs> at all. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, do you really? I mean, it's, I'm, I just try to put myself in the head of somebody who could imagine that all of that was written out and we're going to do that tomorrow. <laughs> it's like, wow. That's a pretty strange question. What brought them there to the evening in the first place? Well, <laughs> and at the same time, I'm glad they came. Yeah. You know, yeah. those are the kind of people that, you're happy, made it to the gig. How do you stop a compulsive talker? You know, again, I immediately in my mind go to the, like a jam session where there's a tenor player who just won't stop playing. <laughs> he just like, he's played his four choruses and he's going to dig in for another right. four choruses and you know, the bass player is getting tired and the drummer has already, you know, gone full Gene Krupa or whatever. Right. You know, Singled and, and ending. Yeah. And to me, the response at that point would be, again, let him have it. Huh. Like, everybody stop and let the guy play. And, you know, after a couple of courses by himself, he's going to kind of go, okay. You know? <laughs> Where did and, everybody go? And yeah. And <laughs> that's, you know, somehow that fits, I think, with civilian life as well. How, if you're at a dinner party, how do you start up a real conversation with someone next to you who you don't know? Well, I love asking people questions. Um, to me, it's like I'm always curious about how it, anybody got to where they are that brought them to that moment in time. You know, it's, it's, it's so interesting to me because it seems to me that while connection is so important in everything we do, the basis of real connection is probably curiosity more than anything Absolutely. else. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Real curiosity, not you pretend. Know, I had a funny thing happen the other day. There's a really great singer named Kurt Elling, who I've known for, for years. And, um, you know, I don't see him a lot, but I see him, you know, we'll play a jazz festival in Finland and see each other backstage every five years or something like that. We just got a dog, um, our family, and I was taking our puppy out on the street trying to get him to do his thing. And this guy came up to me and started talking about the dog. And we talked for about 10 minutes about the dog and everything. And then we both, and we were both looking at the dog and we, then we both looked up and it was like, Kurt, cat. <laughs> it's like, we didn't even know that it was each other. Oh, that's and, funny. And, um, you know, to me, and Kurt's also, uh, you know, he's a great guy and, uh, it was just hilarious. It was like, well, I guess, you know, I guess we don't care that much about music or whatever to, that we have to talk about music. You know, we were talking about a dog for 10 minutes. So last question, what gives you confidence The confidence degrees that I have um, vary from situation to situation, of course. To me, the, you know, that, that famous uh, saying about, um, you know, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. For me, that's been an absolute manifesto for, for my life. But at the same time, living a life as an improvising musician, there's, there's only so far that will take you. And then there's my entire life outside of being an actual musician, which has been, you know, more difficult than the life that I've had as a musician. Not that it's been that difficult, but it's always been a little bit hard for me to negotiate the civilian world relative to the, you know, the more abstract world of music. Um, but again, sort of, tr to me, that, that issue of preparation meeting opportunity, another way you could say that would be understanding. And, and the, w the, the pathway to understanding will always come from listening. And um, so, so I would say what the degree of confidence that I have in any situation is built entirely upon my listening skill that I can bring to that situation. And I definitely do better sometimes than others. I'm always working on improving in that department. Well, you did great today. I love talking with you. Thank you. Thank you, you so what much for coming by. What a Just pleasure. Just great. This has been clear and vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to Discovery for being our presenting sponsor this season. All the income from the ads you hear go to the Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. Just by listening to this podcast, you're contributing to the better communication of science. So thank you. For more information about the Alda Center, please visit aldacenter.org. Pat is touring right now with his project called Side Eye, which features new and upcoming artists. You can find his tour dates and link to his Spotify channel and Apple Music channel called PM Radio on his website at patmatheny.com. Pat, M-E-T-H-E-N-Y, dot com. This episode was produced by Graham Chedd with help from our associate producer, Sarah Chase. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula. Our tech guru is Allison Costin. Our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 
For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. In our next episode, instead of a conversation with just one person, we'll be talking with a dozen scientists from three different generations, all women and all of them with a personal story about the issue that still affects half of humanity. In fact, it shortchanges all of humanity. When I looked around and I saw there weren't any women on the faculty at Harvard, I thought, oh, well, of course not, because they must have chosen to have children instead of being professors at Harvard. And I didn't realize the fact that women had to choose was in itself a form of institutional discrimination, if you like, to create an enterprise where half the people can't do the job. What most of us perceived was not being told that we couldn't do it because we're women, but just having people dismiss our ideas or roll their eyes or or just always having a sense of we're not good enough. When you feel like you're being treated differently, part of you wants to attribute that to the fact that you're a woman, but then part of you is also saying, well, maybe I'm being treated this way because, like, I'm actually not as good. You seem to be accepted. You seem to be one of the boys, if you like. And yet you weren't. So at first you think it's your own fault. So I thought the answer to this problem is you got to do a better experiment. If you do a Nobel Prize winning experiment, then surely, surely somebody will notice. Look at me. I mean, I'm never going to have gravitas. I could be white. I could be 90 years old. Gravitas is something I'll never really attain. I mean, a deep voice is not correlated with uh, a good idea. It's just that we're, we're making these links that don't exist. Every time we talked about unconscious bias or implicit bias to scientists, they would say, oh, but this couldn't possibly apply to us because we're trained to be objective. And so that that's not us. The people who didn't want to believe it could come up with more explanations than I could have imagined. I think people didn't know, really, about this kind of discrimination, this undervalue. I didn't know about it. I had to live it for 20 years. What bothers me is now it's many years later. It's just about time that people are called out for behavior that everybody knows is not okay. Otherwise, you're just flushing money down the toilet as you invest tremendous amounts of time training women and then having them lose their nerve. There's talent everywhere. There's amazingly talented women. They're just being actively discouraged from continuing in science. It's not a hard problem. Stop discouraging women from staying in the business. Join me as we hear from women in science about how things used to be, how they've changed, and where they haven't changed, what we can do about it. Next time on Clear and Vivid. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.